0: welcome to the indigenous approach a podcast where we examine the role of the nation's premier partnership force across the competition continuum from cooperation to conflict and everything in between in this episode members of the civil affairs regiment discuss civil affairs role at the tactical level in the great power competition embassy relationships combining civil affairs and military information support operations capabilities and working with civil society organizations.
1: Greetings, I am Lieutenant Colonel Sam Hayes and I'm with the 95th Civil Affairs Brigade. I'm the interagency coordinator and innovation lead. Uh, Today, we're continuing a great conversation about great power competition at a tactical level. Um, We're building upon the conversation we had a couple months ago. uh, And it's very noteworthy that we go out to the practitioners that are in the field First, I would like to introduce um, our team from uh, Southcom. We have Major Cassiano and his first sergeant, Bisbal. Next, uh, Next, we have our team from Endopaycom, Captain Pomeli. Next, we have our team from Centcom, first sergeant uh, Hernandez and Major Thompson. And last but not least, we have another team from Southcom, Captain Kermelan. So with this, one of the things that was really interesting as we began to talk about a great power competition uh, with our competitors like Russia and China um, is that all of these uh, successful practitioners bring a great perspective not only in COVID, but they've all competed against China. So without further ado, we would like to dive in uh, to their experiences. Um, Major Cassiano, First Sergeant Bisbal, I know that you guys had a great time uh, and you were able to move the ball forward in Southcom. We kind of really want to hear about your experience uh, so we all can learn about the great things that you guys did around downrange.
2: Yes, sir, good morning. Um, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Major Cassiano and with me is First Sergeant Bisbal. We were the uh, regional civil military support Element, Indian Ridge command team. Uh, And part of this purview uh, was Ecuador and operations in the country of Ecuador. And that's what I'm gonna focus on here today, sir, uh, as we discuss great power competition uh, with China. So immediately what we were uh, confronted with in the COVID environment was there was no team on the ground that we're gonna be ripping with as uh, many of the countries that we have, in the AOR have uh, teams there. So that was the first problem COVID presented to us. How do you do a RIP without a team on the ground? No soft partners on the ground because everyone got sent home. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, Second, what uh, is the new focus right now in this great power competition? Uh, What is going on in the agency community and how do you get a feel for that? So the way we approached that um, in the MDMP process was linking up with, of course, the GCC and the TSOC. Uh, the TSOC was the, the guiding element on this. Uh, and we want to ensure that we understood the problem through the whole government lens. Uh, this was great because the uh, USA Deputy Development Advisor for Southcom was really able to clue us in to that competition space um, with the USAID Clear Choice uh, initiative there that they have going on in Latin America. And one of the problem sets was the IEUF. Um, so they gave us their information that they had on hand, which is great, as you know, USA being that constant uh, partner of ours and we got the team spun up on there. Linking up with the mill group, uh, the mill group pointed out some of their capability gaps. And a lot of it was just getting out there and being that sensor. So right there, you hit on a couple of our key tasks of civil engagement uh, and civil reconnaissance, two things that we do to kind of build out the on-the-ground uh, common operating picture and creating that shared understanding. So through the mill group and that permanent presence and our Southcom partners, uh, USAID, filling our team in, our team updated their running estimates, and we're able to, to hit the ground running, focus their operations, and start building that network of partners. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I just kind of want to stress with this indigenous approach that we take is that human network analysis that we do and how we, as part of a greater um, DOD, um, attack these problems through the whole of government approach, leveraging Poll ad there at the TSOC or the USAID advisors there at the GCC. But at this time, sir, I'd like to kind of transition into how we, we leverage some of the network that we already had in another AOR, if I might. Uh, and for that, yeah, sure. uh, I'd like to kind of transition to First Arm Bizball.
1: Okay.
3: Great. Uh, thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Uh, one of the ways that we uh, u- utilize basically the Colombian uh, CA schoolhouse, it was to enhance uh, our partners' uh, partner capacity to conduct CMO. Not only the Colombians, you know, uh, not only Ecuador, we also uh, enhanced to Mexico and Argentina, doing SMEs and then, uh, in order to enhance the civil civil military operations capacity within the the complete region. So one of the approaches that we also uh, empowered was those NCOs in those countries to be trained to trainers, and the important uh, role that the CA play in those countries, uh, especially, you know, like Ecuador, that they don't even uh, recognize what was uh, civil affairs and everything. It was really great especially when China is conducting a lot of uh, operations over there.
1: Now, I appreciate that first one, that, that was really good, uh, especially that training trainer piece. It's really uh, great that you're able to have those uh, expanded effects on, on the, uh, in the competition space. So appreciate sharing that nugget. Mike.
2: Yes, sir. So uh, as I stated, using civil reconnaissance and engagement with our partners, the team on the ground was able to identify some capacity issues that we were able to supplement uh, through the formal education uh, and the institutions that we've developed there in Latin America. Um, Specifically in this case, the first sergeant was talking about uh, with Colombia. So we were able to get our Ecuadorian partners enrolled in a CMO course being taught by our Colombian partners. And that kind of gets at um, the network of partners that we have. Then going down into what the teams were able to identify Uh, along the IEUF front, which is the illegal, uh, unreported, unregulated fishing being conducted by China, Uh, we were able to identify other capability gaps there on the ground, as well as illuminate some of um, the issues that stem from China's IEUF, in particular, uh, the devastation it does to the economy. So by engaging with the local fishermen there, the teams were able to discover that fishermen felt forced to start moving into some of the illicit trafficking networks um, that existed there just to feed their families. So you have the COVID environment, you know, as, as you know, which has increased unemployment and exacerbated problems globally, the global global problem set. And then additionally, you have this issue with China um, fishing in the economic exclusionary zones, pardon me, there in Ecuador. And that's just devastating the income there for the local fishermen. And so we were able to illuminate that um, and work with our interagency partners as well to get this out into the information space. So we're working with uh, SIOP and that cross-functional approach uh, and their ties to the PAO there at the embassy in uh, Ecuador to get this information out to the greater community uh, of interest. So it was just great work that no one uh, but a civil affairs team could have done through their civil reconnaissance and engagement uh, and that training to develop the, our network uh, of partners to achieve these
1: common interests. No, Mike, I, I really enjoyed that, that, uh, that perspective from your command team down there. Um, one of the things that really caught my attention is that network of networks and how you're able to work uh, with the interagency. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and, and how your team was able to have those good effects on the ground um, as China is trying to go through those, those uh, scenes across our partners?
2: Uh, Yes, sir. So great question. And one of the things that we got from our partners there at USAID um, and then the advisor there at Southcom was some good uh, recent activities by China that were rather counterproductive, um, which allowed us uh, to your point to just kind of tell the story over time to our partners kind of discuss and compare our approach to uh, development and achieving mutual interest in um, Latin America. One of them was the um, uh, Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam project there that China was involved with um, in Ecuador. And that project just highlighted how China is doing business in Latin America. They were using, you know, cheap steel, for example. And when inspectors in Ecuador went there uh, to identify that, they were fired because they didn't want anyone speaking out negatively. And this is all open source research that's conducted. But what this did was this armed us with historical data. So we were able to go out there with our partners and kind of talk these pieces. Um, As you know, as well with COVID, we've provided a lot of PPE. Uh, And there's many stories out there, once again, in open source research that show that a lot of the PPE uh, donated by China was faulty. So the partners starting to see these, these trends here. And we're, you know, a lot of this is brought to us through engagement, but now our teams are armed with um, actual openly available stories um, that they might not have otherwise had doing our OSR and being focused by our USA partner that has that longevity and that long look. And that allows us as well to tie into um, the Department of States, the ambassadors, integrated country strategy. So we understand the programs that they have going on and then how they would like for us to address them with that network of partners. So those network of partners, like you said, they, they give us that head start. they tie us into the nat- national strategy, and then we can look at how we're going to tie our tactical actions to those uh, strategic level objectives and, and nest and create that unity
1: of effort. Uh, thank you, uh, Mike, for unpacking that. Hey, Captain Pomaly, Christina, can you, uh, you know, add any thoughts or, or things that uh, um, the Southcom team just shared with us? What are you thinking about?
4: Yes, sir. Major Cassiano, if you wouldn't mind, could you elaborate a little more on the coordination with your CMO counterparts, particularly in a COVID environment?
2: No, that's a great question. Thank you. So uh, in Ecuador, there isn't a CMO capacity as first aren't hit on, but what our teams were able to do was conduct SMEs on CMO. Uh, and this created that that shared understanding. Uh, they were able to do this in the COVID environment by adhering to uh, local policies and procedures there to combat COVID. Uh, And and this is once again, something that you get with a a soft entity, that cultural understanding, that ability to navigate out there in any space, in any challenge, in this case, the COVID environment. Um, And it went a long way uh, because what it did was it showed our partners once again, that no matter the environment, no matter the AOR, your soft partners are going to be there with you to achieve those, those objectives. And in fact, uh, to your point, this, this education from our, our CMO uh, team there, uh, they were able to create a demand signal all the way up to the Minister of Defense in Ecuador because they realized the utility of CMO. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a long-term hope of mine, but maybe we'll get another institution like we do in Colombia where we take that long-term approach and you get that indigenous institutional capacity there that's just enduring and once again, helps us navigate through any circumstance to include COVID. So great question, thank you for that.
1: Now, once again, uh, thank you uh, to the SouthCom team for sharing your story, Um, really helping us to build that capacity down there and compete in a space that's sometimes not even uh, recognized. With that said, uh, Christina, let's shift to you. I know you have a unique story in Indo-Paycom, and I know that you, your team is doing a lot of great things, maybe even similar uh, to Mike's team and Southcom. Can you tell us about your experience and, and, and how you guys got after that competition space?
4: Yes, sir. Um, first of all, I just want to thank First SFC for allowing me to share on this topic, and thanks, sir, for hosting this. So I deployed as the Theater SMC Deputy, Deputy Operations Chief, so helping to facilitate civil affairs operations by our across the Indo PACOM AOR. We deployed prior to the outbreak, and so we dealt with the challenges of dealing with the differences in the operational environment between pre- and post-COVID. How I see CA's tactical role in contributing to GPC really focuses on while we do our tactical mission tasks, also building relationships, being on the ground and being a personal face to these local communities about reassuring the U.S. commitments to our partners and allies, as well as supporting capacity building activities and then contributing to the information environment. And we saw all this play out um, during our deployment. A primary way that our teams uh, supported our Host Nation partners during COVID was with immediate response through the form of quick impact projects uh, using ODACA funding. So that's overseas humanitarian disaster and civic aid funding focused on alleviating human suffering and then supporting Host Nation's efforts with improving capacity and capability to address the immediate response. So augmenting U.S. government uh, support led by U- USAID and State Department with these quick impact projects. And of course, this was an unprecedented environment that we were operating in and our teams really pushed the limits on what we thought was were the limits of ODACA. So we submitted over hundred projects spanning more than $8 million in four months And just to provide some greater context, you know that's normally the output in over the course of three years. So there was a lot of effort, um, a lot of interagency and host nation coordination behind all these projects, and we were able to support 14 countries. So we don't have 14 SIMCs; we're not operating 14 countries. So this allowed us an opportunity to develop systems for ourselves on how we can support these countries and these country teams where we don't actually have a simsi presence. We were able to support AFAR by coordinating closely with USAID and our MIL group or PACOM augmentation team counterparts in the embassy. And so, uh, example I just wanna highlight is uh, with the Philippines. So that's a great example of coordination with interagency, host nation, as well as across SOF. So, our SIMC Philippines based in Manila, they weren't able to travel due to a country lockdown, but they continued mission, they locally procured PPE and coordinated through their host nation counterparts, um, specifically CMO counterparts and Air Force and Navy and Coast Guard to secure transportation to provide this PPE to more remote areas. Um, This also included supporting our SOF counterparts in Mindanao and enabling them to provide humanitarian assistance to those local communities. So reaching across SOF as well as joint and host nation coordination. And lastly, I just want to highlight information environment and how critical that really is to GPC and you know our contributions to it. Um, an example was there was the COVID HA handover ceremony. So uh, COVID HA that our SimC locally procured, and this handover ceremony was between the U.S. ambassador and the minister of health. So since it was a senior KLE, it attracted a lot of media attention, and which also included uh, national televised news. And not even five minutes after that ceremony, there was a another handover ceremony between the Minister of Health and a Chinese-affiliated company, also providing COVID-HA, but none of the media stuck around. So obviously, that's a strong message. We saw on the Facebook of the Ministry of Health, they posted about the U.S. donation, but didn't say anything about the Chinese embassy, or about the Chinese donation. So again, a strong message. And last thing I just want to highlight is... Uh, the importance of locally procured supplies. So not only did our teams provide this requested uh, humanitarian assistance, but also we sought to identify sources that we could locally procure from. And not only does that support the local economies that were badly hit by COVID, but also it identifies a source so that our host nation partners, should they want to continue to provide these goods or should they need replacement parts, they already have identified a supply chain locally available to them which is different to what our competitors seek to do, normally not providing those local uh, produced items.
1: Wow, seems like you guys were very busy. Uh, Busy in a good way. Um, How critical was the embassy to your efforts? And and how, talk to us about that relationship um, so we can share some of our lessons learned with our other counterparts out there.
4: Yes, sir, thank you for that question. Everything we did was interagency coordination. Um, For example, with o Projects, We can't even get the nomination approved at the DOD chain of command level until it's approved by our USAID point of contact in the embassy. So everything has to be blessed off through our interagency partners um, and counterparts. And through the execution of projects, we're leveraging their subject matter expertise because we're not necessarily gonna know everything on the ground as well as they do. And additionally, we really um, integrated with the public affairs section in the embassy as well to promote that U.S. pro-U.S. messaging about these projects and ensuring that the local population knows that you know the U.S. is there and the U.S. is committed to supporting them through the pandemic.
1: No, we definitely appreciate you sharing that, uh, Major Thompson. I, I know that you have some uh, some thoughts and interest in this space. Uh, So what are your thoughts about what uh, Christina just shared with us?
5: Hey, sir. Uh, One observation one question. So observation, I think it's truly remarkable, the amount of trust and empowerment we place in our junior officers and NCOs. And when I read about Russian and Chinese junior officers and NCOs, uh, it makes me appreciative that I'm in the US military. Uh, And then quick question. Uh, Christine, if you could talk a little bit about working with NGOs and civil society organizations uh, within those countries.
4: Thanks, sir, for the, uh, the question. So, um, an example I can just think of off the top of my head is that um, the theater SMC was able to work through uh, Spirit America to support a country where we didn't have SMC presence resident in the C. So. This actually is an example of a soft collaboration as well. So we had uh, a SF counterpart who had just finished conducting a SME in that country, and they were able to share information with us about how the Ministry of Health needed CERN medical equipment that they didn't have uh, locally available in their country to um, collect test samples for COVID-19. And so with that information, we were able to contact Spirit America, and they helped facilitate this project to provide this, these viral transport mediums to this country, which they needed in a short time frame. And so without their support, we wouldn't have been able to provide that assistance as quickly as we were able to, and to specifically address a um, very uh, timely requirement that they had uh, for their uh, COVID response.
1: No, that, that's awesome. I really appreciate you dialing in to those details. Uh, is critically important as we look at our NGOs that we work with uh, on the ground. Shifting to our CENTCOM team, Major Thompson first on Hernandez. Uh, I know your, your theater is a little different than Southcom, indo but the competition threat is still nevertheless the same. Can you unpack for us your experience in this competition space? Hey, sir. First, I want to thank you for moderating this discussion, and I want to thank
5: First Special Forces Command for sending us all over the world to work on issues that we're passionate about and then bringing us back and allowing us to talk about it. Last year, I had the opportunity to travel to the Levant and work on some of these great power competition issues. A few I want to highlight. First, I was in Jordan, and I worked with our Jordanian counterparts who were excellent on a two-day conference called the Amman Forum. The Iman Forum was attended by over 300 people from 27 different countries, including the Russian Defense Attaché, who had to sit there and listen to every speaker get up and talk about the unparalleled relationship between the U.S. and Jordan. From the U.S. military side on the planning aspect of this was myself and a PSYOP NCO. So we created our own mini cross-functional team and worked with our Jordanian counterparts to bring this uh, conference to fruition. The second piece is civilian harm mitigation classes. I created with a US-based organization called Center for Civilians in Conflict. Had these classes translated into the local languages and then worked with our special forces ODAs to include these in the curriculum for our partnered forces uh, special operations NCOs. So every NCO that went through their professional development course received these classes on civilian harm mitigation. With the number of Syrian refugees, particularly uh, in the Levant, the narrative quickly compared how the U.S. cares about civilian harm mitigation and tries to protect civilians compared to the Russians. A third one is our efforts in women, peace, and security. Within the Middle East, some countries in the Middle East, women have a somewhat marginalized public role. However, they have a lot of influence in private life in the household. Uh, so, we sought to work with the economic empowerment of women, uh, women owned businesses, and then also after school activities for girls through organizations like Reclaim Childhood and other organizations. We started to see a lot of uh, anecdotal reports about how families were starting to support US efforts um, because at home they were receiving strong support for the US because we cared about uh, equality and access and equal opportunity especially when you compare against uh, Russian-based assistance or even Chinese-based assistance. So two great power competition aspects there. And then I'm going to turn it over to First Sergeant Hernandez, who's going to talk about our efforts to combat uh, some great power competition with China uh, in in relation to COVID.
6: Uh, First Sergeant. Good morning, sir. Uh, Thank you for your time. Uh, We have some pretty creative teams and and proactive teams. I say this because, as we all know, the COVID pandemic caused a very restrictive uh, freedom of environment across the AOR, at least it did for us. And even through that, the teams managed to come up with very creative ways of still maintaining uh, communication and maintaining the networks active. Not only did they provide PPE or uh, protective equipment, but they also maintain their relationships active by conducting uh, training on the proper mitigation of COVID uh, and or reducing the risk of COVID infection. One team while working with the uh, IWTSC uh, accomplished to manage, uh, produce some pamphlets that were also handed over to uh, the local population while still maintaining COVID pandemics. That, that was all, I mean, maintaining COVID mitigation, maintaining their distance and social distance and all that. Uh, another team, which was the one in Lebanon, maybe a major tonsil, if I leave anything out, uh, that team was so successful that they achieved to uh, receive five minutes of primetime TV. Based on this primetime TV reporting, uh, we got some reflections that the... Chinese actually, it, it prompted a reaction from the competitors, uh, which as, as we all know, it causes an economic, imposes an economic uh, uh, loss, right? To to the competitor, which is actually what we're trying to look at, um, what days I pause for any questions.
5: One thing I want to add to what he said is uh, we were there during the start of COVID to the region So a lot of these, um, the IWTF messaging that uh, we received from them and then also our team's work was the initial response. So things we know now that are kind of common knowledge now, we were figuring out then. So the amount of uh, lives potentially saved or people who did not receive
1: COVID who may have otherwise is probably close to the millions. No, I, I definitely appreciate your team unpacking that, that good uh, information, especially when it talks about the mitigation measures at the earlier stage. Uh, how did you amplify your message and what were the effects with the other uh, RSOF members on the ground? I, I heard you talk about uh, PSYOPs. Uh, can you talk with us about how were you able to work with the other tribes uh, to make an impact?
5: Yes, sir. So as stated with the, with the forum, we worked very closely with a PSYOP a cross-functional uh, team there with the civilian harm mitigation classes. That was in collaboration also with the Special Forces, ODAs, the Women's Peace and Security, and the COVID were all cross functional teams. Uh, when we would go out, the PSYOP team would be right there. Also, the partnered uh, nation PSYOP um, equivalent was there, and they were uh, putting forth these messages in the information environment to inform people on what we were doing.
1: No, I appreciate that. We really, you know, have to understand that we're bigger than ourselves. And as an RSoft community, we can, have, we can punch above our weight when we truly utilize all the aspects together. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Captain Camerline, uh, can you, uh, what thoughts are you going on in your head as you're hearing the sitcom team talk about their experience What are your insights? All
0: right, good day, sir. Good day, everyone. So it's uh it's an amazing conversation. Um, I'm absolutely, um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the differences between how you know SenCom is going to work and how SouthCom is going to work and how we can take these things to leverage. But uh, on on your points there about punching above our weight, I know that a lot of the projects that we do and a lot of the ways that we get the messaging out um, is not dependent, but you know grows together with that interagency work uh, and with streamlining the social media message and about how we get these things disseminated. Um, via the means and via the, the medias that the actual population receives them. So I know I did some work on that in, in SOUTHCOM, um, but sir, if you could flesh out a little bit what that looks like more in the CENTCOM sphere, I'd appreciate that.
5: Hey, thank you. Yeah, so we work very closely with our State, state Department and United States Agency for International Development uh, throughout every country in the Middle East where we were and excellent teams there. They were instrumental in helping us to share our messages and everything was very closely
1: coordinated with them. So Captain Caroline, so I know you were in the South Calm. I, I know that you uh, have done well with, with the 83rd. Can you kind of unveil for us uh, your experience down there uh, so we can learn from you?
0: Thanks again, sir. So um, I took my team uh, down there, a team of uh, four from the 83rd Fox company uh, down to Guiana starting in August. Uh, similarly to what Major Cassiano was talking about, there was no uh, rip there. You know, In the COVID environment, the previous team had already um, returned to Fort Bragg. So getting that continuity uh, you know, was a challenge. And of course, the, the outgoing team did a very good job setting us up but to a certain degree. Uh, we arrived there and had to look at the situation with new eyes. Uh, we were there from August through December, um, but really, absolutely critical to what we were doing really was that interagency coordination. Uh, Southcom has a lot of, um, I think, great histories with the company teams um, interacting, especially with state. Uh, I know that I was almost joined at the hip uh, with the uh, embassy public affairs officer; that that conversation was absolutely ongoing. Uh, Particularly because in Guyana, there is the the central capital and then there are the rural zones and the physical distance between those is really great. So if we were going to move into the more rural, uh, the more frontier areas and do projects of one kind or another, uh, ensuring that that um, positive message, right, or that that imagery that those stories got back to the capital and that it was disseminated properly uh, was To achieve those effects, we had to have that close collaboration with the embassy public affairs office, which was extremely strong and extremely easy to work with. Uh, So building those relationships, as Captain Plumley said, and just making sure that we're, you know, side by side going after those projects ensures uh, that it really works effectively. I know on one of these uh, presentations before, uh, Sergeant Acosta, who just came from the schoolhouse emphasized that, you know, the country team And, you know, many of the people at the embassy, especially the public affairs officer, have often been there for far longer than you will be. So you deploy there, you orient yourself as quickly as you can. But if you're not drawing on that knowledge and on those networks, you're simply not going to be effective. Uh, So that close relationship and especially working with the uh, through the social media that they had set up uh, empowered us to achieve the effects that we were going for, which really was definitively in that COVID environment. Um, Not just uh, PPE, not just coordination with the Guyanese Ministry of Health, uh, but also getting more precision about the civil vulnerabilities uh, sprouting from that, things like food insecurity. Um, Things that are not necessarily immediately obvious, but as soon as you have a team on there on ground, a couple of really strong NCOs, as I was fortunate to have, uh, you start to get that feedback and that information about how else can we attack the COVID problem? What's the most effective way uh, that we can really... Um, achieve the joint objectives that we have here. Um, very positive experience, really great learning experience, sir. Um, fascinated to hear how everyone else has tackled it. I mean, the COVID problem has been everywhere. And I know every, um, really every country has its own particular um, angles and objectives, sir.
1: I know that your, your team worked with uh, local civil um, society organizations to get after the economic uh, civil vulnerabilities. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Yes,
0: absolutely, sir. So I, I came in with the conception that it really would be primarily about uh, PPE and about support to the Ministry of Health, which we did support. Uh, but when we got out to those rural areas and had those conversations with people on the ground, uh, there was a running conversation about how you can't really isolate people that are dependent on, um, you know, on foraging, on hunting, on fishing, because they had a whole, they had life requirements that were different from people in the city. So alleviating those by ensuring that if we did have to isolate someone or if we had to enable the Ministry of Health to set up an isolation area, that you would then have to provide, you know, food support, food hampers, uh, even gardening tools that people in, um, you know, could start a garden in their backyard and start to uh, maintain that food security. Because uh, the alternative is to tell someone who relies on moving from region to region, right, potentially carrying the pandemic there, uh, that they have to stay put and then provide them with nothing, which is not uh, practicable at all. Um, so that is not information that we would have had, had it not been working through uh, the civil groups on the ground that were tackling that problem.
1: Major Cassiano, I know that you worked in the Southcomb area. I know uh, Captain K worked in a different part. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts and insight as he unpacked his experience.
2: Very common as well to RAO, not to our country, was the creativity of the teams there and the importance of that network of partners when we're mapping things out. Um, Through that and through meeting with our UAPs, our team on the ground was able to kind of overcome uh, some of their setbacks as well, taking that indigenous approach. You know, Meeting with the Ecuadorian Navy, our team identified some of the capacity issues they had with identifying what illicit catches look like, some of the issues with maritime law, how do you transition to a a judicial finish, uh, for example. Uh, So an indigenous problem. Well, by having that network of NGO partners uh, there that they developed quickly, the team was actually able to put together a SME funded by another NGO to address that problem. They brought in maritime lawyers, uh, marine biologists, and conducted a SME where uh, 25 uh, senior uh, naval officers were trained uh, in the Ecuadorian Navy to address their own problems. Uh, So indigenous problems, indigenous uh, solutions in that network that our CA team built there on the ground. I mean, all in all, with, with the SMEs conducted that, because uh, it gained such uh, notoriety, because the team did such a great job, over 350 Ecuadorian military soldiers from special forces to infantry were trained in SMEs by this team that was on the ground for um, less than uh, six months in this case because they had a delayed deployment due to COVID. So it's just amazing what, um, to the point some of the other captains made, what our team leaders are, are capable of and the importance of that indigenous approach uh, to create this unity of
1: effort. Thank you for that question, sir. One of the things I, I kind of want to challenge the group as we connect the dots, uh, for those of, uh, of us who are listening to this episode, First Special Forces Command is standing up uh, information workers. In, and it's designed to support the sensor on the ground. Uh, our members uh, that are downrange competing. Um, As they uh, think through on how to support you to build that culture around, provide that precision fire uh, for you guys on the ground, uh, what would have been critical to help you uh, if it was fully manned and fully operational during your time? I'm interested in your thoughts so we can provide them some nuggets as well. Uh, With that said, Mike, your team, um, how does that look for you when you're down there? So um, the two things that I think come to the
2: forefront here, sir, is before you head in, just like any mission. Uh, so the surveys, the ability of uh, the Information Warfare Command to do those native, those pulse surveys in our AOR, and kind of build out that understanding of where the teams are headed. So same thing you would get with, with any um, mission brief Um, So they can kind of focus within those uh, NAIs and the PIRs that we'd like to answer, but understanding that civil component, because it's just an amazing tool. If you've ever read one of the uh, surveys done by Native, um, it's very illuminating, and it really helps you understand the environment before you enter it. So our our teams can go in there with that understanding. Of course, and then they focus through their CR, uh, and just like any recon asset, um, they bring clarity to the problem set that is still a little opaque with some of these surveys, but at least now you have kind of understanding the environment. So that'd be one, those surveys prior to going in, that assessment before. Uh, then the assessments uh, during inaction where our teams conduct, what did we do uh, in that environment? And then, of course, post-action. So for me, it's very heavy on the assessments just because of the power of what I've seen that they produce. Uh, and then also streamlining that sensor-to-message uh, chain Uh, if you will, just understanding within each AOR some of the um, authorities and permissions so that we can streamline this process and be that first to message and keeping with one of our first SFC uh,
1: objectives. Hey, first Sergeant, anything you'd like to add to that?
6: Oh, sorry, I think uh, uh, uh,
3: Mayor Cassiano basically covered everything and say, you know, about the IO you know, understanding the civil uh, components, what's going on, having a better understanding, you know, with the surveys, and then the teams conducting the CR, just bring everything on light. So I think it's basically very, very uh, important for us. And then those assessments to assess basically what's going on in the ground, so we can basically have a better uh, messaging to the population.
1: I definitely appreciate that. Christina, in the Indo-PACOM area, uh, how would you want to be supported if, if that capability was there? Same question to you.
4: Yes, sir. As I mentioned before, you know the information environment is so critical at GPC. So something that could be beneficial is if we could have a better understanding of the different parties involved in the information space. So something like an information, common operating picture. You know, Ideally, it could show composition, disposition, Um, the intent of the different parties involved.
1: Major Thompson, uh, what about the CENTCOM AOR? Uh, How could that add value there? Hey, sir, Uh, again,
5: uh, messaging. And then secondly, kind of what Major Cassiano was saying, the quantitative and qualitative analysis at a sub-regional and a community level to understand the push and pull factors influencing people's behaviors.
1: Captain Kamerlein, same question to you. Uh, If that capability uh, was fully operational and your guys are down range, how could that precision inspire help you get after the competition?
0: Thank you for the question, sir. So um, I love the way Captain Plumley put it, to be honest. Uh, The concept of an information common object uh, to me would be amazing. Just to be able to look at that product and actually see uh, where those lines of influence are going uh, because I, I came out of country with what I understood to be a pretty clear picture of where I thought the areas of influence were, particularly with, uh, you know, PRC, uh, GPC, there's a very heavy uh, economic uh, footprint. They're kind of comparable to a major Cassiano was talking about a lot of resource extraction, a lot of, um, you know, negative economic factors, but I know that that's not the whole picture. And no matter how much I dug having more, closer surveys, having more uh, detail and precision on what that influences. So how we can counter it, I I think that that would be fantastic. So not rating picture, love the phrase. I'm gonna start using it, I think.
1: No, that's awesome. I really appreciate everyone for sharing their thoughts. I I definitely know that it will add value to the conversation. We wanna thank uh, uh, First Special Forces Command uh, for this opportunity to have this conversation. Uh, We definitely want to thank the 95th uh, for allowing us to participate and all the battalions to include the 83rd. This has been a rich conversation on how we get after tactical, uh, GPC, and the different areas that we work. Uh, Thanks, everyone.
2: This has been the Indigenous Approach. We hope you have
0: enjoyed this episode. Follow us on social media, and if you have suggestions for topics or guests, send us a message.